You're listening to Sailing Into Oblivion Podcast. Welcome to American Salt. This is podcast number three. I'm Jerome Rand. So picking up where we left off. Today is day seven out at sea and just about been out here <clears throat> for a week. And yeah, I already had some some pretty pretty interesting stuff go on. I think last time I left things off was during a bit of a northeast blow, nothing too crazy, but definitely uncomfortable. And uh, that lasted a good 36, 48 hours, something like that, and then finally started to ease off. But the, the wind direction didn't change for, I don't know, a couple of days. And so I ended up getting within about 25 miles of the coast of Newfoundland and that was definitely a little little crazy, but uh, yeah, uh, winds did finally shift. They sort of were on and off for, for a little bit, but eventually, eventually it's filled in, and for the last two days has been really, really good. I had one sunny, beautiful day, um, full canvas, you know, big drifter, full mainsail, all that sort of stuff, and just enjoying sort of not being tossed around like a crazy person um and then went the wind sort of died off a little changed a bit and now they're coming out of absolutely the perfect direction so they're coming from the southeast i need to go to the east so i'm on a nice big broad reach full sail up still and has been all night biggest problem i'm having right now is dodging fishing boats and you know there are definitely a lot of lobster buoys and stuff i have to watch out for those because mongo my aries wind vane that hydro blade the blade that's in the water it can catch those lines and those those traps these offshore ones they're heavy duty so i'd have just a few seconds to try and round the boat up before it gave a good yank and as strong as mongo is i don't know how heavy those those traps are but it could definitely do some damage so i have to keep an eye out at night there's really nothing i can do because it it's been pitch black nights uh for the last two days just because it's been you know overcast and everything so you, you do just sort of have to gamble it but for me it's it it definitely gets a little difficult to sleep when it is pitch black like that in the fog and i know there are these obstacles sort of out there in the water um i don't know i just i can't help but sit there in my bed and i'm thinking and i'm thinking and i'm thinking and and then all of a sudden 30 minutes go by and i i gotta go take a look and check and it's really why i like offshore sailing you know a couple hundred miles offshore you can sleep pretty sound out there i've got the ais and and it's working really well a lot better than the old unit the display like i said before is still really crappy but it works and the alarm is much better than the old one the old one just had a beep and 
And this one is, and it just keeps going off. It wakes me up in two seconds. So that is definitely a, uh, a bonus. I do wish they had a setting on these things where, you know, if you cancel the alarm, it, you know, it won't go off again for that same boat. But I, I realize why they probably don't. You know, if it's a fishing boat, they're always changing their course. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you can you can go into the settings and turn the alarm off, but this that's sort of a longer process. And you know, when you're foggy from just waking up, and you don't really want to mess around with the settings. You know, on on a trip before, I I was sort of doing that, and I accidentally had turned off my transmitter, and so I was picking up other people's AIS other ships but i wasn't sending out my position to any of them and so you know typically little rule is don't mess with the settings when you've had a couple cocktails and don't mess with the settings when uh when you just wake up and you can still barely see so other than that though it's it's been um it's been a bit of uh, a scary couple of days as far as my electronic equipment goes. And, you know, Mighty Sparrow, I try and keep as basic as possible, you know, with, with typical just open ocean sailing stuff that I normally do. Navigation can be very simple and I can do it all with charts and the sextant and, and all that, but with this trip going through the Northwest Passage and then also having to go through these big sh- like shipping lanes and, and fishing grounds like the Grand Banks and all that sort of stuff, you know, I'm relying on a lot of stuff, a lot of equipment. I've got the computer, I've got the AIS, uh, I've got the VHF radio, all that sort of stuff. And I don't know exactly what went on, but on my trip from South Carolina to... Maine, everything worked. Everything worked perfect. It was great, flawless. And then a day or two out of Maine when I got into those thunderstorms, and there were definitely bolts of lightning that were hitting, you know, within a half mile of my position or something. I don't know if something happened, but after that, the AIS stopped working. It was malfunctioning. The VHF, the actual like uh, microphone for it, stopped working on the old one, and my Garmin InReach, which I text my position, you know, to my parents and stuff, that all stopped working. And you know, it wasn't it; I couldn't turn it on, but it it was malfunctioning. It wasn't sending the right updates, all that sort of stuff. And so I basically, you know, luckily I I sort of had all these backups. But I figured, oh, you know, might have to use those months and months from now or maybe not even at all and all that sort of stuff. Nope, they're all installed. So the AIS is is now brand new. The VHF radio is brand new. And I'm using a new Garmin InReach. So hopefully uh, these can stand the test of time. I mean, I, I can... I can sort of use some of the old ones as backup a little bit. They function semi, so you know that might may help a little bit. But you know, at this point right now, I have the two computers. One's an old laptop that has duct tape on it, and the other one's a newer one. What I'm sort of concerned about is the sat phone. You know, it's 
the sat phone has always been kept in a nice uh, Pelican case and everything, and it, it doesn't get used often, so it's it's really it should should be okay. But that's one of those things I thought of as soon as I was out here. I was kind of thinking, man, if that sucker goes, that's that's gonna put the kibosh on the the Northwest Passage for sure. Because I I need to be able to download, you know, ice information from Victor and you know see what is going on and which which direction which path I need to actually take so uh, that was actually the the Garmin inReach right there sending a, a note out to Matt Rutherford who I contacted him just let him know that I was going and you know he he was the first person to ever go around the Americas solo and non-stop and you know, I told him, I think it was the first thing I, I said to him. I was like, I followed in your wake, buddy. He said he was jealous. And I definitely know that feeling because I know when, when Randall Reeves took off to do the figure eight for the second time, I I was sitting there thinking, oh, man, I'd love to be back out there and do another big trip. And So, well, careful what you wish for. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, besides, uh, you know, the equipment, everything else on the boat, I did a, a few, you know, I the, the rig and everything needs to always be sort of messed with and tensioned and everything. And so I went around and did all that. The wind vane Mongo seems to be doing great. Uh, I did have uh, one little section of it where one of the wires, which is called a whisker stay, uh, basically connects up. To the boomkin, which connects to the backstay. I don't know these are technical terms, but essentially, the Aries is made out of aluminum, really thick, heavy-duty aluminum. And there was one section where the aluminum was rubbing up against or touching the stainless steel turnbuckle on on that whisker stay, on that wire. And when you get aluminum and you get stainless and they're touching and then you add salt water, you get corrosion. And I thought I was going to have to, you know, take all the sail down, ease everything off. But luckily I was able to just wedge, uh, you know, a nice little piece of wood in between them so they're not touching. I do have backup turnbuckles if, if that one looks like it's going to crack and let go. But Oh, just little little things like that. You always try and catch before they become a real big issue. So that's that's sort of that's sort of the game plan at this point. Is you know you go through some rough weather, boat takes a serious beating, and then you go around and look for all the things that that sort of got weak and are about ready to let go, and you try and replace them and and do the best you can. So. That's sort of what I've been doing and, you know, enjoying steady sailing more than anything right now. Let's just see. I think we are probably, oh yeah, we're doing between six and a half and seven and a half knots. So it must have a little bit of current. We're headed at about zero five five degrees, so up to the northeast. And for any technical guys that are out there or girls that are out there looking at charts and things like that. Right now I'm at 44 degrees, 54.5 north, 058 degrees, 28.5 west. So that's my position. For anybody else in the world, um, that really just means that I am about to 
leave the coast of Nova Scotia and jump over across a little gap to Newfoundland. I'm about like 40, 50 miles off of the coast, so I'm still a little ways out, but it is, that's sort of my approximate position. And once I get to the eastern tip of Newfoundland, that's where the Grand Banks are, huge fishing ground, and that's where I'm going to do my turn north and head to southern tip of Greenland, or at least in that direction, and that's Cape Farewell. So that's when I'm in the Labrador Sea. Anything can happen there. It's definitely a uh, foreboding sort of place. I'm a little bit nervous about it, but I know the wind's supposed to be good for the next couple of days, and I should be making that turn hopefully in about two days or so. But, you know, winds can change in two seconds out here. Sure would sure would love uh, a nice sunny or, or not even really and not so much the sun because i i do i do get a little sunburn out here i got a lot of sunscreen for sure but man i it's kind of annoying just slobbing that stuff on all the time uh but more than anything i just like the clear nights where i can see the stars and especially that comet that's out right now that is just something else holy cow the whole sky is just filled. I mean, you get Jupiter, Mars, Saturn, and then in early, early hours you get Venus, but you get that comet too. And the absolutely remarkable. Probably one of my favorite things about being out to sea is is being able to sort of be completely enveloped. Half of half of my field of vision is is waves, and the other half is is stars. And I've got these pretty cool binoculars that have some sort of, you know, you put a couple of batteries in them and you hit a button and they self-stabilize. And they're not they're not perfect, obviously, on the boat because I'm moving so much. But on a calm, really calm night, I can look at Jupiter and, and just barely see some of the moons. So it is pretty cool. And definitely been seeing a lot of satellites. And, you know, you can focus in on those guys and sort of see them. There was one the other night that was... Um, it was, I just kept seeing a flash every 10, 20 seconds. And, yeah, I, I, just, I mean, I can't imagine it is, but it seems like it's it's some satellite just taking pictures or maybe a, a an aircraft. I mean, it, it seemed like it was moving really fast like a satellite, so so who knows. But, yeah, that's my the pure pleasure being out at sea is those, those beautiful skies. So technical stuff other than that there's not a whole lot i i guess you know for me at this point i'm still just trying to get over the anxiety of heading out on this this voyage and heading into some of these places where i'm going it's uh it's definitely scary and you know though i'm not having nightmares about that you know i've had the other typical weird nightmares of you know trying to run away from people or things um what's the other one teeth falling out you know and i've always heard there are you know beliefs that some of those have meetings and stuff i don't know what they are but i do know they're they're not fun dreams to wake up from and usually they leave me sort of questioning what's going on but yeah i mean you know you wake up and then especially from a deep sleep and then all of a sudden it sinks in what you're doing, where you are, and where you're going. That's the time where I'm sort of at most un- uneasy. Because there's just a lot of 
a lot of, uh, I, I guess you could say I'm out of my comfort zone. You know, the big blue ocean, that's fine and dandy. I love it. I'll go out there all day. But navigating through these tight passages, going into the ice, icebergs, fog, all that sort of stuff, is um, it's pretty intimidating. And it's it's got its grips on my brain. But I am trying to practice, you know, what I did last last time on the last trip and that was to really really just focus on the day or the week or just the bit of ocean that you know I'm going through right then and there and that definitely takes the anxiety away but it's it's not easily done it's not something you can just turn your brain and be like okay I'm not going to think about that anymore it doesn't work like that it, it takes practice of anytime you notice your 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 head starting to wander in that direction it's it's really trying to refocus it on something else and and so you know I'm pretty sure I'll get into that and and get better and better and back to a point I mean you know I I remember finishing the last trip I pulled into Gloucester and I was sort of thinking to myself why why are all these people here what's the big deal I've just been sailing for the day because it felt like that to me I I no longer considered the trip in its entirety at all and so I was you know my brain was in a a totally different spot at that at that time and granted that was after 271 days out there alone so I think anybody's brain is going to be a bit messed up but yeah, so been in touch with Randall Reeves, Matt Rutherford it's sort of like the uh, American A-team when it comes to solo long distance ocean sailing you know where the only things we race are uh are the seasons really and it's pretty cool because i you know when i think about it really you know these these are the guys and ah, it's just i don't know it's really it's really cool it's it's awesome that they're sort of checking in and i know that if i get into some serious trouble or or have questions i can always get a hold of them really quick um you know so that that definitely helps out quite a bit but it is kind of cool i don't know i have these i have these like crazy thoughts of you know finishing this trip and then trying to rally rally those guys see if we get some sponsors or something like that and uh and the three of us could go over and compete in the the 2022 golden globe i mean i i'm not a racer but that that race with those boats it's sort of a last man standing sort of thing in a lot of ways especially if it's a, a tough season down in the southern ocean uh Matissier used to say that you would get one good year of southern ocean sailing for every in every three so one and three was good so you had two bad years and you know i I think in 2018 that was probably a pretty bad year i think they got they got walloped in that one so who knows but i don't know i just always thought it would be it would be pretty funny to uh you know get a hold of don mcintyre if i could convince those guys to do it and obviously get the sponsorship the boats all sorts it would it would be tough to say the least but uh that would be so neat hey don you got three more spots open let the americans come in on this i think there are maybe one or two americans that are going to compete but it's so far out you know with with trips like that so much happens because a lot of these guys i think go out and they're doing these practic- 
practice uh, package, uh, practice passages, and and sometimes they run into trouble, and and you know boats break down and things like that. So I don't know. Who knows? That's way off in the future, but yeah, I like to think about that stuff sometimes. So anyway, well, getting close to 20 minutes, and I'm gonna just keep stringing these guys together. I'll do uh, three three days in a row or not three days in a row but three in a row and then uh and that'll make up an hour and that'll be one episode each so if i'm out here for as long as i think i'm gonna be i should have about 100 episodes other than that sail safe well listening to that is is pretty cool you know i often get asked how how i sleep out there and and what it's like at night and and for me sailing you know Nighttime is is one of my favorite times because one I'm not getting cooked by the sun, and two I've got the stars and everything to to look at. You know, not all the time, but sometimes. And it is uh, it can be a little unnerving, especially in the fog in there. You know, I'm I'm definitely dealing with fog and stuff like that. Um, but I don't. You know, usually you have a good feel before you go to sleep on a boat you know what the night's bringing and if it's a squally night and the winds are shifty and it's rainy and stuff then yeah you don't sleep very well because you know you're gonna have to hop up at any second but there's other nights where it's clear the winds are steady and you know you're gonna be able to get down and and sleep for hours at a time and i don't know it's pretty cool listening to that that where i am in in the section you can you can definitely see I'm still in the beginning of the voyage, still excited about it, and uh, completely oblivious to what's going to happen uh, in just the coming weeks there. So, welcome, American Salt, uh, day eleven on the trip, and whew, what a what a twenty four hours it has <laughs> it has been. Uh, I just fog all day yesterday just the thickest fog could you know barely see 100 200 feet maybe all day all night and you know sort of in and out had a a couple of couple scotches you know halfway through took a long nap woke up and then for whatever reason you know I sort of I I got out of bed maybe around midnight or something and just decided it was really cold and I just felt, I felt like I just didn't want to try and get more sleep. And I, I just said, Oh, well let's go test out, you know, my wet weather gear and everything. And, you know, it had been sort of a, an epic day in the fact that I was able to catch eight gallons of, of rainwater. It, it started raining only for maybe 30, 40 minutes, but I, you know, I was up, I, I heard it and, and snapped into action and stuff. And so it's a pretty, pretty good achievement at this point is to, to get back to a hundred percent. And so I have all this water and, you know, it's it's sort of an exhausting day when you're when you're doing stuff like that and you're cold and you're wet and the, the boat's really wet and you gotta try and sort of get that a little bit cleaned up because there's there's not a lot of space 
basically you come down the companionway stairs and there is about three or four feet of area between my nav station and my bunk and so i try and keep all the wetness uh right by the companionway anyway so i go through that and so it's a good day all that stuff have a couple cocktails you know, I'm having some fun, go to bed, and then wake up, and yeah, so I, I just, I sort of thinking to myself, you know, all right, I, we're heading north, we gotta start to get a little serious here, let's, let's see how this, this cold weather stuff that I've brought, because, you know, last time it was, it wasn't a whole lot, when I, I figured in the southern ocean, I wasn't gonna see much, much less than 40 degrees Fahrenheit, and ended up, you know, having snow and, and all that sort of stuff. So this time I have quite a bit more, you know, it's, it's basically, uh, from, from my time on the Appalachian trail and being at nature's whim for so long, I, I really did start to realize that layers, it's all about layers. You just want to have tons and tons and tons of layers. So, you know, I, I probably have 10 or 10 or 12 layers of bottoms and then probably 15 layers of tops and all sorts of different, you know, from, from thermals to, you know, thin little, little, uh, poof jackety type things. And then obviously the outer shell anyway. So I go and, you know, I have a few extra layers on, throw those all on, throw everything on just to go sit up in the cockpit and it's still foggy. I can't see anything, not a star to be seen, blah, blah, blah. And I go up and, and, I had had sort of a conservative sail plan up and the wind was sort of dying a little bit and it's always hard to get me to motivate to, to really, you know, put exactly the perfect amount of sail up. If it's, if it's right on the edge, you know, I'm, I'm sort of the guy who would be like, ah, she'll be, she'll be all right. So I was a little, you know, I was like, ah, well, I give it a shot, give it a shot. So I went, took down a bunch of sail, put up some other big sails, and we start moving and everything. And before I was even finished with it, the AIS alarm is starting to go off. And I haven't seen a single, single, uh, a single signal all day. Nobody's been out there. I, I thought, you know, we're on the Grand Banks. There should be fishing boats everywhere. I'm not seeing anything. The only, the only troubles I was having was uh, a little place called the Virgin Rocks. And the eastern shoal, which is where it shallows up quite a bit, and you could even see it in the in the ocean. I mean, it went from that deep dark blue to to really a light blue, not Caribbeany exactly, but you could tell that with with the the wind picking up in the twenties, it it did start to get. You could just tell. You knew it was shallow. You knew it was it was less than maybe a hundred feet or something like that, but. So going in and, and I'm up there in the cockpit, it's it's probably midnight, one in the morning, something like that, and just did the sail change and I'm sweating bullets. Just I literally just had to take the the beanie off, all that sort of stuff, just almost ready to take the shell off, except it was still sort of drizzly, but and AIS going off and then I look and there's there's like seven targets and they're all directly where i'm headed and then all of a sudden i hear a radio call from one of these big oil platforms to a fishing boat that's right next to me 
and he's the one I think my alarm was going off for. And there, uh, and I don't know, I, I can only assume that while I was doing a sale change, they were trying to call me, but because I was up doing a sale change, I couldn't hear them. And so they called this fishing boat and I caught the tail end of their conversation and which, you know, I know you're, you're not really supposed to listen into what other people are saying, but I, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> how can you not, especially if you're, if you're out here by yourself. But, um, so I hear him going back and forth and the, the funny part I thought about it was, you know, the, the fishing boat. When he was he was asked, you know, uh, do you have a target next to you about uh, two miles to the southwest? The fish boat, yeah, it's uh, the mighty sparrow, and it it says it's a pleasure craft. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh yeah, gosh, these guys must only see oil tankers, cargo ships, and fishing boats out here. I mean, you know. Who else, who else in their right mind is going to be out in this place? But so I, I went in and, and talked to them and yeah, they just needed, they needed some, uh, like they wanted the, the oil platform wanted five miles of a CPA, which is closest point approach. So had to divert my path a little bit. And then they also had sort of a supply vessel or a support vessel there that needed three miles. So I sort of deviated my, my little course and no which was no problem but it, it was the winds were dropping off to the point where i i kind of almost wanted to warn them and say hey you know if if these winds totally drop off i'm just going to be drifting out here and if the current takes me towards you I, there's nothing i can really do because i have to save my fuel for for the passage and uh <laughs> but i didn't even you know I, they did ask where i was headed and stuff and i told them through the northwest passage down the pacific cape horn and you know that that obviously elicited kind of an interesting response but you know it's mostly just well wishes and stuff like that and um so i go through all that and that i mean surprisingly just to divert around these things because you've given them five miles here, five miles there, that's hours. So that's two hours, three hours, and I'm finally clear. I was able to get some sleep, and uh, by the time I woke up, you know, the winds had dropped off quite a bit, but I ended up going ahead and, and jibing over and uh, making my turn north, basically. So uh, I'm, I'm well past. At this point, I'm at... Uh, 47 degrees 40 minutes longitude so i'm i'm well past 50 which is where most of the icebergs that's sort of the limit at this point so i'm i'm west or i'm east of all the icebergs so i can i can head pretty much north towards greenland and i so i made my turn north and now yeah i'm just i'm just climbing basically climbing up the planet and you know, so I'm going and going, and then this morning after I wake up, we're still still uh, still headed sort of east southeast, and then and then I go for that jive, and now I'm headed north, and then boom, there's another oil platform, and I don't I don't have charts for the Grand Banks like close up charts, so you know this again, the budget was the master, and I figured I I have charts for all 
everything just a little further, a couple days north from here, and I'll have charts for the entire trip. But, you know, for the big open ocean stuff, I just have like two or three charts. That's all you, you need. There's, you know, there's not much out there. But so it's another oil platform, and it just happens to be one of the largest ones. I think it is the largest oil platform in the world. I, I still don't even, I couldn't tell you exactly what it's called. But um, so I'm trying to change my course trying to do it with this light winds and stuff and i have this old spinnaker on board but it had a couple of tears and it was sort of my secret weapon for being in the northwest passage and <laughs> so i spent like an hour and a half the sun came out oh, this is perfect it was all wet i kind of dried it all out on the deck that took a while and then get out the sail tape and i'm making all these sort of intricate patches and everything Spend maybe an hour or so doing that, and then I go ahead and put it up, and bang, it's like, wow, okay, this is beautiful, and we're moving all of a sudden, we're moving just in the perfect direction, I'm going to avoid all these other tankers, going to avoid all this this gigantic oil rig thing they have there, and and then I look at the, the bottom of the sail, and there's one big tear that I didn't, uh, I didn't remember was there, and so <laughs> I have to go and douse it. And it's just dumb, so dumb. I, I'm just like, oh, oh man, I released the halyard. And <laughs> it just, it literally, I left one wrap on the winch and everything thinking, oh, yeah, I'll slow it down. I can pull it in. It hit the water so fast. I didn't even know what, I, I was already screaming obscenities by the time, you know, as soon as I saw it, I was so mad at myself because now the sail's salty, it's wet. All those repairs I did are compromised, and I'm not going to be able to repair the one little thing that I needed to do with two pieces of tape. And I'm just so upset with myself. But yank it all in, get it on deck, leave it there, go off to just sit by myself for a little bit. And I'm able to sail. The winds sort of come up a little bit. The fog clears. It turns out to be this beautiful day, and I actually get a view of this oil refinery platform whatever it is I, I i think it's an oil production platform so they're sucking the oil out of the out of the seabed and it's gigantic i it's unbelievable to look it looks like somebody built a, a big factory put it on a gigantic barge and just towed it out to sea and anchored it somewhere i mean it, i've unbelievable it's not like a traditional oil rig you think of this thing was just massive and so i'm passing by that and there's also this crazy fishing boat that it almost looked like half fishing boat and half super yacht fancy there were radar domes all this sort of stuff i don't know it was, it was crazy you know i i in a lot of ways i was i was just witnessing you know just the 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 rape of you know what's under the ground and what's in the sea all at the same time i'm just thinking that fishing boat probably just yanks so many fish out of this ocean and that oil platform with its huge towering smokestack which is burning off huge flames coming out of it just burning off excess stuff i don't know it's it's ugh. sometimes when i see that stuff i i can't help but feel disgusted with humanity <laughs> especially when the rest of what i'm looking at is you know 
clouds and sun and, and waves and this beautiful scenery and dolphins and all sorts of birds. But in any event, so I go and I'm, I, I'm so mad. <laughs> I'm sort of steaming for a while. And I was like, you know, okay, so I'm dripping sweat at this point. I haven't taken a shower in 11 days. So I go take a half gallon shower, so to speak, and clean off. And, I, and as I'm like halfway through that, oh, wait a minute. Okay. So I go up and I stand on the spinnaker and I, I take the rest of the shower on the spinnaker, try and get fresh water on it. It dries out. I do my patch. And then I remember that I have what's called a snuffer sack. So it's a, it's sort of like an easier way to douse and and fill your spinnaker yeah you know you don't have to just let the halyard go and the spinnaker falls out of the sky and you go try and collect it it's it's just like sock basically that you can pull over the whole thing and i go dig that out maybe half an hour later find it all that sort of stuff hook it all up put it all together and i go to throw the thing up and it's all twisted and tangled to pull it all back down, sort it all back out. So now at this point, I've probably committed at least minimum three hours to this spinnaker, uh, possibly some more. And then I get it sorted out and I pop this thing up. And it's blowing maybe eight knots. So it's, it's not windy. And that's why I'm wanting to use it because then I can go straight down winds perfect. I get it up. It is up for less than 60 seconds before all, all I hear is and it just tears from the top all the way down to the bottom. Just whoop the whole seam. And this thing again, it's older than me. And I just look at it. And normally, normally, if a, if a sail does a little tear or something, if you see that, you sort of act quick. You move, you drop that sail because you, you can repair it before it gets too bad. I just looked at this thing, and I watched it, and it just disintegrated. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, it was so sad because I knew. I knew that was it I did from the get-go. As soon as I, I saw how big of a tear, I mean, we're talking 10, 12 feet in the first couple seconds, and <laughs> I just thought... <laughs> Well, there goes my secret weapon. Great, great. Oh, let's pile on some more. So, I no longer have a spinnaker. I still have it up there. I think I'll probably just bag it up and stow it somewhere. Uh, maybe cut it, cut it up into pieces and give it away as gifts or something. But it it's toast. There's there's no coming back from that one. But yeah, so. I get that, and then I just put up the sails that I had up before all that was going on, and we start sailing along, and all I can think to myself is, wow, I just blew like the last three, four hours. I could have just been sailing and making miles and dealt with this whole thing later, because really, that spinnaker, I the only time I ever used it was when it was blowing like next to absolutely nothing, and today I put it up in, in a little bit of wind, so... I don't know. It was it was a piece of junk. The one silver lining I think from the whole thing is that now I don't have to even consider it anymore. 
Because before, I, I remember when when I was trying to go a little too far downwind and the sails were sort of banging back and forth. I'd, I'd go back and forth with myself thinking, oh, should I put it up? I can get the spinnaker. Is it right? Is it going to get windier? Now, don't even have to think about it. It's a non-issue. So that is kind of a, a nice little thing. So I don't know. Other than that, We've got a, a pretty intense low. It's a small one, but it's an intense one in a week. And we'll have to watch and see how that changes. I, uh, but if I can keep the the wind going, or if I can keep the boat going, if the wind stays up, I should be able to get north of it, which is great. The fuel bladder, there's still like some weird little... like some weird little leak in the beginning when I was filling this thing up. I know I dribbled a decent amount when I was doing that and that sort of went, you know, behind it and I don't know where that went, but also I switched the cap out with a low profile sort of PVC cap. And that was leaking for the entire time I was out here. And so I can only think that maybe a quarter cup or half a cup of diesel. No, probably not even that much because I, I would have smelled that. Basically leaked out of, of the cap for this, this fuel bladder and sort of went into its seams and all that sort of stuff. And I saw a bit of it leaking out. And so I changed it back to the other one, did a little you know maneuvering so that that wouldn't be an issue. But... At the same time, I don't know if that leak that I was seeing, and again, this is, I'm only seeing maybe a quarter of a teaspoon of diesel, just a little dribble, you know, on the floor. Yeah, but when I see that, all I can think to myself is, oh, okay, that's it. We've got a leak. It's going to just get worse. And the next time I'm in bad weather, it's just going to be a, a fountain. And this thing is too heavy. It's 1,200 pounds of diesel fuel. It's not like I can manhandle this over and, and, you know, just pinch one end of it. So it's basically, if this thing lets go, it lets go. But, and I, yeah, I don't even know. I, I haven't even really considered, I, I, I guess I was sort of thinking about it last night about, okay, well, if that thing literally just let go, poof, 175 gallons of diesel fuel just straight into the boat, into the bilges. You know, it's going to fill up the bilge. Chances are it'll contaminate the water that's down there. But plus, it's just going to fill the bilge. And I can't I can't just turn the bilge pump on and pump it over the side. Uh, I'd have to figure out some way to deal with it. I mean, if it became a danger to the point where, you know, my life was being threatened by it. But I kind of have a feeling it'd be one of those things where... I'm close enough to land that I would probably just have to sort of live outside in the cockpit and sail the boat in to a place where I could safely dispose of it. Cause I'd need, you know, a big pump and all this sort of stuff. Cause the last thing I want is to have a big, although, you know, comparatively to industry, it wouldn't be big by any means, but to have any sort of, I, I would never want oil or plastic or diesel, any of that stuff to go in the ocean. And so I don't know. It's it is. It's one of those things I don't I don't like looking at it. 
Oh man, it does look like it's looks like it's shifted back maybe a half an inch or so. I don't know. It is weird. I I cannot wait to get far enough north to just literally start burning the stuff in the I I I'm so looking forward to getting rid of this. But anyway, I've gone on too long already. Um I want to catch the rest of the sunset. But day 11 American Salt journey's going well. Uh ups and downs. I think on the next one we're going to talk about the anxiety and some of the fear and just these dreams I've been having, like literally wake up and it's my worst nightmare. Like why, why am I doing this? Why am I here? It's, it's, it's terrifying. All right, everybody sail safe. Wow. That one's pretty funny to listen to. Uh, looking back now, I, I do remember just how crazy that was to, uh, to be around the grand banks and stuff. I mean, that, you know, the charts, the this little electronic chart that I had, had those rocks and that shoal and, and the change of color in the water and stuff. And then, you know, obviously the oil rigs and the, the fishing boats started coming out. So it was it was definitely uh, a bit of a high tense moment, uh, a couple of days at least. And, you know, to, to get up there and have people call you on the radio and tell you you have to, you know, divert your course around us. Uh, we need five miles of ocean. You know, it's, it's kind of funny when I think about it now. It it almost sounds like, uh, you know, a little precursor to what was actually going to come later on in the, the story here where, you know, you've got this entity out there that's claiming to, you know, own 25 square miles of ocean that I can't go to. Uh, which for me, you know, the ocean really represents a place that's free of uh, anybody who rules it and owns it. You know, that's one of the things that I really like about it. But the other part of that that story <laughs> with the spinnaker, I remember that it was just uh, it was one of those things where, you know, that spinnaker it saved me on the last trip. Uh, you know, once I left the Caribbean and was headed to. I headed to Gloucester, you know, day 250, something like that. I ran into a bunch of light wind for like five days, and that spinnaker was what got me through it. And, you know, it's old. It was really, really old, but it, it you know, it worked, and it didn't show any really big signs of wear. And and then, yeah, once I got out there, and, and it was, it was going to be my secret weapon. You know, you get up to the to the Northwest Passage, and there's no wind, so... You know, you you pop a spinnaker and and ghost along. And this boat, even though it's an old, really heavy, full keel, heavy displacement boat, you know, it it if if there's even a breath of wind, if the sea is flat, you can get her to move. And I was planning on using that thing all the time up there. And you know, literally after that episode, it all just that thing fell apart. It was completely destroyed. There was no coming back. There was no using it anymore. And, uh, so I sort of lost that component, but you know, out there when, when those things sort of happen, you, you just deal with it. And, and then you, you make do without having something because, you know, there's no stores or anything to pull into. You gotta, uh, you gotta just make do with what you got. And, uh, I don't know. It was just one of those super frustrating events that happen on boats sometimes where you put in a huge amount of effort to try and sort something out and then it fails completely and 
you look at all the time you've just wasted and energy and resources <laughs> and you sort of you know you just got to shuck it off and be like hey well you know at least i gave it a shot right so that was that was pretty funny it was uh that was definitely a crazy time and it, it all happened within you know like 24 hours 48 hours it was it was you know at sea sometimes that happens where you know, it'll be boring for days and days, and then all of a sudden you'll get all this action. All these things happen all at once, and then it goes right back to just boring. And I don't know. It, it's always pretty funny like that. But anyway, that's that's out uh, towards the Grand Banks, and uh, the next one will be a little further down the line. That does it for this episode, and those are the first two sessions uh, out at sea uh, headed up north to the northwest passage up and in, getting into the labrador sea so thanks for tuning in everybody and remember if you are looking for any more information about my previous trip you can always uh, go on amazon the book is sailing into oblivion and it's available in paperback and ebook thanks a lot have a good day <laughs>